Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders and entrepreneurs in the hospitality industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, we're joined by David Ovens, the CEO and founder of Let's Operate, a technology and advisory consultancy that helps businesses to harness technology. David has a wide range of experience from academia into consulting in retail and food, and especially franchising, both from the UK and Ireland. David's going to share a lot of great knowledge with us here on the podcast around data, tech, franchising, and scaling your business. So grab a cup of coffee or whatever you need, put your headphones on, and enjoy this great podcast with David. Hello, David, and welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast. A very, very big pleasure to have you here today on our podcast. Thank you very much, Michael. Pleasure to be here. David, I think we've known each other for, is it about a year now? It's a year since we met up in Dublin and uh, started talking about hospitality, franchising and so on. I think we met up in a hotel, as I remember. Very nice hotel. Very nice, very nice hotel where someone else paid for the coffee and biscuits. So that's always good too. Yeah, we met up and we started talking about franchising, hospitality and data. And then we have hooked up a couple of times together and we've done a bit of stuff together in Ireland. And then we had some very interesting conversations. So I really look forward to get you on the program today because we're going to hear your story now. But you, you are not a classic franchising or hospitality and retail man, operations that and I don't see that's a bad thing it's I think that's a very interesting thing yeah I think you're right uh, I think it's interesting because one of the points that's made our conversations really valuable for me is the fact that we're obviously talking about topics and we're coming at them from different perspectives from different points of origin so it's a very brief overview of myself and as an Irishman, I don't have a problem talking. So tell me if, I, <laughs> if I'm if i going over my, uh, my allocated time. So I started out working in academia in University College Dublin, lecturing in information systems and quantitative methods. And from there, I did some work with some early stage startup companies in the business incubation unit in Nova and learned a lot about how to fail fast and, and fail hard. And from there, I always had a, a background in, in technology. And so I had a, a master's in, in information systems from a graduate school here. And so I got involved then in an early stage startup, which was looking to act as a uh, outsourcing company to support the technology operations for franchises in Ireland. And the very first franchise that I ever countered was a franchise called uh, Curves Fitness for, for women. That's a real, I suppose, classic story of a franchise that expands too quick, too soon and crashes to a certain degree and then tries to build itself back up again. Anyway, from there, I then started an IT services company, really nothing very unique or ordinary about it 10 years ago. And, and over the course of that 10 year period, that's evolved into a business that has focused on supporting exclusively the franchise sector in Ireland from, I suppose now we, we really would class that we would work with three different groups of clients, pre-franchise clients, emerging franchise clients, and established franchise clients. And we offer services across three different areas. So the first would be managed cloud IT services, really acting as a first port of call if you like an entire kind of franchise support apparatus, whether you've got a problem with your point of sale system, your Wi-Fi in your store, etc., to back office operations. The second string to our bow is our data protection and cybersecurity offering. So we've 
had a real uptake in that in the past year with the advent of GDPR and all of the security implications that go with that. And then the third area is along with technology franchise scaling. So that's really where we could be working with the business that maybe hasn't franchised yet, or maybe they have a couple of units and they're looking to say, well, what kind of technology supports can we put in place to help that business scale profitably and not just repeat how we're currently doing things now? A little over 50% of our client base are food service operators, typically speaking in the fast, casual, quick service restaurant space. The vast majority of those are in Ireland. But an interesting point, which I'm sure we'll touch on later on, is the growing trend that's seeing indigenous Irish franchise operations in in the food service space start to internationalize and expand out into the UK and beyond. So that's that's given us a footprint in the UK without ever actually having to go and you know make a sales call or or do a sales pitch specifically for for UK business. And then the other kind of 50% or so of our business is comprised of a range of other franchise businesses in the service sector from home care to accountancy and business consultancy and, and a whole kind of mishmash of, of everything else, recruitment, etc. All sorts of weird and wonderful things that you would never think a franchise would exist about, but actually does. So yeah, that's my brief background. I live in Dublin, two kids, a four-year-old and a, and a two-year-old daughter, which I was just saying to you is kind of the reason why I'm on my uh, second cup of coffee so far today, but all is good. Coming back a bit to your your what you do with franchising and food businesses, can you tell a bit more specific what it is that you're doing when you're helping them with the technology? Because technology is a very big subject right now when it comes to restaurants, and and some people sees that as the secret ingredient for some businesses to you know getting profitable. I think that's maybe a, a shooting a bit high. I think it's a good way to get a tool that can help you be becoming more productive and more efficient as, as an organization if you understand how to implement it right. So so if you can clarify a bit more about how you you help them with these things i think just to touch on the point you made there firstly look if you have a piece of technology any piece of technology that's going to automate what you do albeit with the fact that labor costs are so important to underlying profitability as a food service operator but if you have a piece of technology that's going to help you automate something help you do something quicker but really we're talking here about an efficiency gain we're talking about a quantitative gain not something that's a qualitative change in how you actually do what you do then all that technology is going to do is take your existing process system output and get you to that point quicker. And in many cases, that means you just do more of the same bad thing quicker and not that you actually achieve any different outcome. I think you're right. I think that is, it's beyond aspirational. I think it's delusional, to be honest with you, to think that technology is going to magically make your business profitable. It's not. I think ultimately, It's having a really, really good value proposition that lies at the heart of anything. I think where technology can help you is it can reduce the cost of scaling that proposition. It can help you ensure the standardized quality of that proposition over multiple different locations. But it's it's never going to make something that doesn't taste great, taste fantastic, or that doesn't look good, look beautiful, or service that feels impersonal, unfriendly, suddenly give you that warm, glowing feeling. That's not going to happen. Ultimately, if your people don't care and have heart about your business, technology is not going to get you there. That diatribe said, what do we actually do in in specific terms? 
I think I'd class it, there's kind of two sections, right? Section A is all of the boring, non-sexy IT stuff that's important just to make sure that operations can function on a day-to-day basis. So it can be simple things like making sure if your location is using a number of different cloud applications, be that from time and attendance to clock in or clock out, whatever it could be making sure you actually have a redundant or backup broadband connection in place, making sure you actually have a firewall in place that will flip you over from your primary connection to your backup connection so your operations don't fall down, making sure that items like your CCTV cameras or your till systems, which are normally quite vulnerable to attack, may not have any antivirus on them, making sure that your business is protected and it can actually just work on a day-to-day basis. That goes all the way from just the basic networking in the business, cabling, firewall, networking switch, making sure all of the kind of technical plumbing stuff works. And importantly, having a standardized blueprint for that, that you can then replicate and iterate on successfully as you open up location number two, three, four, five, six, etc. Also included in that mix are your operations apps. So in many cases, you have a lot of operators who have really good offerings. They're still using Excel and email and they are abusing those two applications horrendously. And it can be something as simple as, you know, maybe getting to use like Trail app, you know, to help automate checklists, or it could be having a cloud-based system for staff to clock in and clock out and be able to report on absenteeism and that type of thing. So really what we'll do is we have a blueprint for what we would consider to be best practice for your your core technology applications that you should actually have in a business. And what we'll do is when we meet with a new client, we'll complete what we call a quick action report where we do a review. We benchmark it against what we know to be best practice. It's really a gap analysis. And we say, here's what you're doing. Here's where you should be. Put a phase plan in place that meets with budget to help them get there. As I said, it's non-sexy, but it's, it's important. That's the kind of bedrock that you know, proverbially, the lights are going to be kept on the next day. The other element that we do there then is saying, how can you actually do things differently? And differently means how can you actually improve the customer experience? Yeah, I think it all has to start with improving the customer experience. So that can be looking at customer engagement. While we don't do anything on the actual consultancy side of, say, employee engagement, what we will look to do is help to bring some technology tools in place that will allow the operator to measure employee engagement. But as I said, if you just put that technology tool in there by itself and there isn't actually a program of employee engagement that's built around it, you're just going to measure something for the sake of it and there's no point in doing that. I suppose what gets measured gets managed. A lot of the time when we're looking at improving the customer experience, it's about saying, right, what areas do we have data on at the moment? What areas do we have data on that we're not using? Where can we join up that data to create what we call a single data landscape or a unified data landscape? And that can mean taking things like your data from your Wi-Fi access points, combining with your TIL system combining that even with your CCTV, combining that with your digital signage so that you can then actually measure and say, well, if we use one site location to test our new digital signage in our window display, we can see that really split testing sign A or sign B is more or less effective because we're measuring the number of people, we're actually counting the number of people who are walking by the outside of the unit, stopping, hovering, walking in, how long do they linger there for? 
and then even doing cool things like seeing what's the full conversion rate then from that through to actually transactions at the till system. And then once you know which split test result is most successful, you use that as a data-informed decision to go and roll that advertising out across other locations. That's the kind of thing that we love to try and do. It's very interesting what you said about the power of designing a blueprint for when you scale businesses. So for my own experience working in a number of both global food businesses and smaller businesses that IT is often seen as uh, has been, I think there's more and more focus. You see the big global ones are going more digital and more aware about that and that employ bigger teams. But when I started out, it was just something that followed you in a way. And that, that creates a legacy in the organization that it could be a good, a very good example I've seen many times is that the EPOS system you choose to use and then you start to scale, you keep on repairing on that and so on and that creates a lot of challenges with data and you know transparency and, and things like that and, and i often think that where, where i don't know if that your view as well is that to create a, a great plan from the outset because like there's plans for many other things like property for how to recruit people for the supply chain and so on but often there's very little focusing on uh, on the it and even though we said that this is not the core thing it will actually help you in my view automating things in your organization where your managers or your head office team don't need to spend time on it, where they actually spend value time on creating value to actually be good for the employee and customer experience instead, which is all about in the end. If you get these two things right, we all know that profitability will come and growth over long term. I agree. I think the point you make in terms of many operators, many businesses not having a very deliberate plan for how they're actually going to manage technology in the business is certainly true. If you drill down into that, I think it's a generalization, but you can split businesses, certainly in my experience, into two categories. You know, we would deal with businesses who it's Mary and Mike's coffee shop, right? And they just happen to do really good coffee, but it's also Mary and Mike serving the coffee. So they care about it. They're passionate. That's evident. It comes across you know, literally where every paperclip is positioned in that store has been thought out with care. For them, technology, they're probably not very technology literate, which is a strange thing to say because, you know, maybe they're in their mid-late 20s or early 30s and the general consensus is, hey, everyone who's a millennial is, a, is an IT whiz, which is patently a lie and not true. Those guys are about service first and they're not really thinking about scale. It almost happens to them. And then they're constantly playing catch up. And the other category is where you have food service operators who maybe have some experience. Maybe they've owned you know, a unit of a franchise or they, they've just had some experience maybe through family or whatever the case may be. And they may be taking the license for a master franchise in a territory or they may be a group of individuals with different expertise, one in food service operator background, one who's a financier, one who's in real estate, which is increasingly important. And they've got a very premeditated plan for how they are actually going to go and move forward on every aspect of the business. And technology is an inherent part of that. And of course, the challenge is that both Mary and Mike's Coffee Shop and these three guys who are, you know, very premeditated in looking at how they're going to execute on technology, their units can be side by side on the high street. So there's a, there's a real divide between those two. And, you know, product may be better in Mary and Mike's coffee shop, but there's a lack of literacy in terms of and a lack of awareness in terms of what they could actually use technology to do. 
And one of the other challenges that, just to call it a fact, if you look over the past five, seven years, before you may have had one system or one application that did a reasonable job, an IT system did a reasonable job of four or five different tasks. And what's happened increasingly is you now have more and more niche providers who say, well, we're not going to be a general provider of an IT system that does four or five things. We're going to do one thing really well. We're going to do employee engagement or net promoter score really well. And that's all we're going to go and do. And hands down, we're going to be the best for that. That's great. You then, as the operator, think, well, I'm going to go and use that tool. But you're still using the other tool because it's doing a reasonable job of other items. And then you find another tool that does one specific task really well. You end up with this massive technology sprawl where all of a sudden you're using 15 different cloud apps with different usernames and passwords to sign into all of them. And it ends up becoming data and noise overload. It's not my phrase. It's well known. But technology should follow business purpose not the other way around. So yeah, I think if you've got a clear strategy in terms of which customer personas you're looking to speak to in the market, it's important to understand the demographic of them, how you actually need to reach and engage with them. You know, if you're speaking with 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, email is still acceptable in terms of digital marketing. You know, yourself, if you're speaking with somebody who's below 20 in their 20s, 30s, email nowadays is akin to kind of writing formal correspondence on gilded letterhead. <laughs> like when, when we were growing up, it's a total mismatch. I think having a very deliberate plan for how you're actually going to use technology to help execute on your business strategy is essential. That said, I find when I actually start speaking with new clients is, and I say, what's your one or your three-year business plan? And you get silence and you get these gazes around the room. And so many of them are like, well, we're thinking about Christmas or we're thinking about summer or Halloween or we're not thinking about three years from now. And often you find that there's a job of work to actually get them to formulate that longer term plan. And then how can you use technology to execute on it? That's obviously different for people who are more experienced or more deliberate or looking at scaling from the very beginning. But yeah, you definitely have the divide between those two categories of businesses, in my opinion. It's very interesting when you say, I can't agree more, that anything you do in a business has to start out from your, your vision, your purpose, call it what you want. Then the, the strategy that's going to drive your business forward for, for the next one to, to five years. And, and understanding, you actually have to understand your business model really well and what makes it ticks. Because what I've seen as well is that people, they get merry and uh, and might get their coffee shop run really well, but they don't really understand why it works really well. And then they move on scaling that business. And that's where, if you don't understand where you're coming from and what your purpose and values are and why things are working really well and also why they don't work, but often people really don't understand why they were successful. We just need to do more of these. And then you start to do, as you said, a number of different technologies. As you said, there's a lot of these uh, best of breed products out there, which individually are quite good, but you need to understand does that actually fit your business model and what you want to achieve. And then there you have the old product more that the full suite models, which probably are very expensive and can't be, be managed very well from a cost base of you. So what happens is often ends up in, you know, data chaos or you don't believe technology actually can help you in any way. But again, it comes back to really have to understand your, your core business model and how technology then can do the heavy lifting within that and actually help you to get a better overview, especially, you know, on, on dashboard and data. That's a totally different uh, conversation to have. It's about, it'd be interesting to talk to you a bit about data now, where, because a lot of people get all this data out of technology, but 
they really don't understand what it tells them or they don't see the connection that's actually connected with something else. They don't ask, I call it the why, why, why? What is the brutal facts actually here? What is it I need to understand? Often you only look at sales goes up, it goes down or cost goes up and down and then you knee jerk react instead of actually understand the patterns that actually went to this result. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> My answer to, to that in terms of agreeing with you. I think that for me, the number one challenge when it comes to data is not the answers, it's not the outputs, it's are you asking the right questions? And that can sound facetious to say because it's a really simple thing to go and say, and it's like, well, what does that actually really mean? If you have a look at your offering to the customer, whatever that may be, and if you have a look at what are the key elements of that offering that, if done right, contribute to the offering being executed really well, if your offering is all about convenience and speed, then obviously turnaround time, that's something that you need to measure. That, that's really important. That's something that's going to be valued by your customer. If it's more about individual care and attention to detail, then that's obviously something that you need to make sure that you're asking questions about and you're capturing the right data on. It's definitely not about more data is better. Far from it. I think ask as few questions as you possibly can. I read Mark Zuckerberg, you know, when he was first, the first couple of years really starting to look to try and scale Facebook. And every, so he says, every decision that he made, that he was asked to be involved and make a decision on, he asked one question. He said, is this going to help us scale? Yes or no? That may or may not have been the right question for him to ask. And I'm not going to say that any business or food service operator out there should only have one question. But if you have a strategy, then you should have a, as small a number of questions as is possible, which are asked as often and as readily as possible by everyone in the organization. So not just something that's done by CEO, by the ops manager. If you have a very simple set of questions that are easily understood by even somebody at the counter actually serving the customer, they understand why these questions are important. And then if you're able to actually gather data on those and report upon those, then you have data that gives you actionable information. The amount of times that you'll look at a data analytics tool and they'll say, we have the best tool to give you actionable insights. An insight, by definition, is not an insight unless it is actionable. Otherwise, it is simply information that is unorganized. You go back to my academia days, you know, you've got raw data, Data organized into a cogent logical format is information. Information that allows you to act is insight. Insight put into practice gives you knowledge. It's not complex, but oh my God, do technology vendors out there like to portray it as though it is. In some cases, I think, just to kind of, you know, justify higher ticket prices for the systems. My key advice for any client, you know, existing or new who I'd be speaking with is say, make sure that you're asking the questions, a small number of questions as possible that speak to those elements or points of your offering that if executed correctly will deliver a above average experience. It doesn't need to be fantastically amazing. You don't always need to go and amaze the customer. All you need to do is even just marginally, slightly exceed their expectations. And if you do that, they walk away a little bit nicely surprised, more likely to come back. 
And if you can understand why that is, because you've got a simple dashboard of data that's easily communicable to everyone in the organization, they're all going to buy into it and it becomes somewhat of a virtuous circle. Yeah, and uh, it's very interesting in a way if you look for patterns of data where you actually can see either, you know, the right behaviors happening or they're not happening. And there's a very interesting book, I'm sure you know it, by Stephen R. Covey that's called uh, The Five Disciplines of Execution. And in that, they have a chapter or a part of the book that's all about how can you see if you're winning the game? And it's not about measuring backward and look at data in a way, history, because sales and profit data is history. It's about understanding what kind of data can you either create or look at in the organization that you can see on a, every second, like a basketball game, you can see if you're winning the game. Of you're scoring the right points to win the game at the end of the day when it comes to your employee or customer experience when we come to hospitality businesses or other things that's important you know that x in your business that's very important to to win to to have a successful outcome and thereby achieve profit in, in the long term but really understanding here and now what is that you need to do every day and coming back to a trail you mentioned before it's a very interesting product where you actually can see a lot of behavior going on there you know i know you can always tick the box for the sake of ticking a box in a checklist but if you in a way write the right task and ask the right questions in that you will probably steer your business towards success if you didn't do that and i think that's where the beauty of technology that can be shared with the whole organization straight away so you know what's going on but in a way what these technology things in my world, what I'm starting to see is that they can help you understand the behavior that's going on and then give you a better chance actually to change that, those behaviors and beliefs, which is a lot of the work we do as well when we go in and work with clients in hospitality mavericks. Yeah, I mean, I think like a couple of thoughts. One is I'm of the opinion that not every business, not every food service operator, not every model is designed or should scale, period. I think it's a myth to believe that, well, whatever our offering is, if we have the right tools with the right systems, we should be able to scale this. It's not necessarily the case. But what you can do if you're you know, going back to our kind of Mike and Mary example from that coffee shop is there's nothing to say that you can't actually learn sufficiently from that experience to be able to then go and design a separate value proposition, a different offering that from the outset is one that is designed to be profitably scalable, which is quite different. But for those operators who do have multiple locations, and whether that's even two, three, or whether it's 30 or 50 or more, one of the things that you should be able to get, you know, should be really at the very heart of your technology strategy, but certainly from your, from your data strategy, is comparative analysis, is being able to, oh, I suppose, identify firstly investigate and ultimately understand why if we behave or if as you say if we see a pattern why are we seeing different patterns in different locations what is causing those patterns to occur and what are the outcomes both positive and negative i was at a around a year ago i remember it sticks out in my memory i was at a weekly meeting for one of our clients and at that time, they had around 15 locations and they were in the takeaway food business and home delivery food business. And every week they'd have the store manager from each of their then 15 stores come and they'd have a roundtable meeting. And at that point, they were in business around about two and a half years. So they'd had some quite rapid expansion. Around 70% of the locations were company owned, 30% franchised. And the financial controller at that point said, right, well, I've just done our year on year analysis. And I can see that our sales are actually down by 3% year on year. He just went around the room to each manager and said, tell me why that is. You know, you've never seen a group of people 
all want to get out of room as quickly as that because it was just a total loaded gun that was given to each one of them. Of course, what the financial controller, because again, he was working off these massively complex Excel spreadsheets that had been put together. And what he wasn't doing was taking any context into account. He wasn't looking at saying, well, is footfall up and down or any other market conditions up or down, looking at location or store format or looking at what level of training had been completed in each store. The question he was asking, it's a valid question to try and understand why sales are up or sales are down. But the answer to that is an outcome of other behaviours and actions which repeated routinely become patterns, as you say. And he absolutely was not asking the right questions and he wasn't asking the right questions at the right time. Now, since then, they now have two different technology tools that they have in place, which is, you know, giving them a small amount of valuable real-time information hour by hour across all of their locations which is helping them to understand, A, what a benchmark level of performance should be for a store at its particular point in a life cycle, time of year, seasonality, and then to understand whether that store, for its own appropriate benchmark, is actually outperforming the market or underperforming. And if it's underperforming, to be able to manage that by exception. And if it's outperforming, equally to try and understand what are they doing differently there that may be translatable elsewhere. So it's super interesting what you said there about scaling a business and and what happens with it because of I, I guess as well that been working myself in, in, in businesses that scale both international and you know smaller businesses, especially I worked in McDonald's where you have data and everything and you really understand how you know both soft and hard data feed in to understand how you create a profit in the end, a better employee and customer experience. And then then coming down to, to other businesses where you know you don't have this kind of data and you see this scale is happening. And I would say even sometimes, you know, that there's happening scale where where they even don't understand coming back to us said earlier about what has really been the success here and how can we actually keep on measuring that as a success and how we're actually actually going to put in, you know, these different measuring points because that that's where I think technology really starts now to have the early graphs in my world of helping you to create that data, even if you're a small business, but you want to scale. I think there's two elements here. Do you actually need to scale the business? That's the first question. And uh, maybe actually I can scale the existing business I have with technology as well. And that's what I'm trying to come to in a way that you actually with buying the right technology and actually can maybe grow your existing business with delivery service. It could be e-commerce. You don't need more bricks and mortar. You don't need more units. That's actually where technology actually can help scaling your business without you need to go out and do these massive investments. Because actually maybe for unit with the right growth strategy put in place, is actually a better business on the bottom line than going out and do that. And I think that's where technology really can really can help in a way. I think that we need to get lots of big billboards printed, Michael, that have what you just said on it there, printed on it and kind of, you know, lit up 24-7. Scaling the business, scaling, you should be looking to scale its profits. That doesn't mean that you should be as interested in looking to go and scale the cost base, scale the footprint in terms of number of locations. And look, while it's absolutely admirable, of course, to go and say, I'd really like to be able to employ 100 people or 200 people or 300 people so I can you know, provide that service back to, to the community and, and have that employment. That's absolutely admirable. However, if you don't have your business operating profitably, 
and in a sustainable way, then all you're actually doing is putting more livelihoods at risk in the medium and long term. And there's been, you know, I don't need to tell you the number of examples there's been over the past kind of 12, 18 months in, in the UK space and beyond of very big chains having a pretty nightmarish time and the impact that that has on just regular people working in those businesses. I think you're right. There's a couple of things you were asking me there earlier on about, you know, what are specific things that we're working on with clients at the moment from a technology standpoint. And if you look at a food service operator element of our client base, the two things that are probably the hottest topics at the moment are online ordering platforms and delivery. I think the reason for that is, you know, when I describe the online ordering platform to a client, I say, look, your online ordering platform, that should be, if it's working correctly, that is going to be the best salesperson that you're ever going to employ in the business. Because what other salesperson is going to work 24-7, 365, never ask for a pay rise, never want to take time off for holidays, never call in sick, never get grumpy because it's getting too busy. It should be absolutely core and central to your business. And many, many clients that we have now from a financial reporting standpoint where, you know, they'll, they'll break out and run profit and loss accounts for each store location on a weekly basis to go and to go and track profitability right not just sales but profitability and and that is even a lesson in and of itself the number of people i speak with who are like constantly looking at revenue and they're not actually looking at profit bizarrely because they fool themselves into thinking well we're scaling and it's all about generating awareness and it's about generating a brand great tell yourself that when you've got no money left in your pocket but the thing about online ordering is it absolutely represents a different cost model, should represent a different cost model for the business. Now, there's very differing views out there about working with marketplace aggregators, like whether it's you know Uber Eats or whether it's Just Eat and using dark kitchens and, and, and having virtual brands. One of our clients, very interestingly, an Irish indigenous franchise who has around 25 locations now, three of which are in the UK, two in London, they're just in the next month or so going to open in one of the dark kitchens, virtual kitchens, whatever you want to call it, from, from Just Eat. And they're also set up a virtual brand, which is actually an identical menu to what they have, but with a, with a different brand on it. Same price point, actually, as well. And their view on this is that, well, look, we don't know how this is actually going to pan out, but we'd rather be on the inside of this being able to collect some relevant data and experience to see whether this is something that we're going to be able to contribute to, to scaling our own profit base or not, rather than just reading an article about how somebody else has done it well or crashed and burnt you know, 18 months from now. Now, admittedly, they have the finance to be able to go and take that gamble. They don't need that to pay off. So you could say that that's a luxury, but equally, I think there's a lot of other operators out there who would be in a similar situation but are sitting on their hands. Um, the other aspect then with regards to delivery, um, delivery is, in, in an Irish context, it's a bit of a nightmare, to, to be honest with you. Um, it's very fragmented. Uh, yes, you've got Uber Eats uh, come into the market here now, super aggressive i mean super aggressive a number of clients i've spoken with who they've they've actually had to get kind of like vocal with uber to kind of say listen would you stop calling us uh, we will sign up when we're ready in good time so i mean they're they're really hitting the ground hard and um, delivery just eat they've obviously been established here longer um but what you have what you have here is that last mile of delivery here is still very poor and so 
Um, while in theory, it sounds great to be able to go and offer delivery. Ultimately, if your product is not conducive, if your offer is not conducive to arriving, you know, realistically, 40 to 45 minutes after it's actually been produced um, and you're using one of these these marketplace aggregators, then all you're going to do is piss the customer off. Now, we've got a number of clients where they're, say, you know, um, they're kind of classed as being uh, luxury treats, so things like donuts, things like this. That's fine. I mean, if you get that donut within 45 minutes of it being produced, you're not going to notice any impact upon taste. Quite different if it's a pizza, et cetera, or something like that. So one of the side projects that we have here at the moment, I say side project, but um, um, it's probably taking up too much time at the moment, uh, is we're working with the uh, second largest taxi uh, network operator in the country and also the largest indigenous uh, Irish-owned and built um, online ordering platform um, with a view to them being able to offer an integrated service to food service operators to actually challenge the likes of Uber Eats, Deliveroo, etc., where they will be able to go and offer a full branded online ordering platform in the, the, the library of the operator it will actually manage delivery, but what will happen is that uh, instead of taking you know a 25-30% commission, the online operator will take somewhere around four and a half, five, and then delivery will actually be um, uh, completely uh, visible uh, to to the person ordering. So they'll they'll be able to see well if I'm you know 20 you know miles away versus 10 miles away. It's going to be transparent. I'll see the pricing difference, and um, it'll be done per kilometer. Um, and then the um, the food service operator can decide whether or not they want to incentivize free or discounted delivery based upon order volume. But the key thing here, and it gets back to our earlier part in the conversation, is that in that model, the food service operator they own the customer. They have the data. They know who they're delivering to, and as a result, they can actually measure what that experience is like if i go and use you know one of the big aggregators and the delivery goes out there and i hear of a complaint back it could take 24 48 hours it may have been nothing to do with the product it may have been all to do with the actual aggregator or their delivery partner and yet me as the operator may be liable to stump up 75 percent of the refund cost now i can't see how that ties into profitably scaling your business over the long run so uh, that's one of the reasons why we're looking at trying to bringing something different into the market here and that, that's super interesting but that's definitely a gap there because what we've seen as well we, we we've done a bit of on because delivery is the hot new thing you want to do first of all you need to understand is your as you say your product and your business model ready for that maybe that's actually a journey you need to go on really to get this right and we have a lucky to have a guy on the team's called Ado. he built a delivery business from you know one to a couple of 20 units with pizza and people thought that would be easy it was high-end pizzas and and it was, it was quite a journey and he got it right in a way but what he often mentioned is that people totally forget they're still human behind that technology interaction that's happening that needs to do things in a very efficient manner and it's a bit like turning around airplanes in an airport 
that just doesn't happen because they they land and then technology they go there's still a lot of human interaction that needs to happen that's where you know it, it looks good on the platform or on your phone when you do all this but you really need to think it through and as well that how i'm going to do it i'm going to do it myself i'm going to get involved with delivery or uber or somebody else it really has to fit your model and then you have to think about the cost again what an operate like that take. it could increase your sales but your bottom line goes out so you're actually working harder doing more work but having less profit again so and it's the specific times of the day you want to use an, an external use and that's so many consideration again and if your business model is ready to do that because we just done it with a couple of clients and they get surprised about what it actually does do to their day-to-day day operation. It can be, you know, suddenly a capacity challenge or, or something we didn't think about that actually this happens or the clients do this on the platform. It's not a quick fix to success and sales growth. And I know there's some big numbers being saying about online ordering and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think that it's come back to, again, do your assessment, understand what you want to achieve with this and how you're going to do it. And then accept that you're going on a journey with a trial and error as well. And then, you know, adjust your operation to that. But it's not it's not an easy, easy fix. There's a reason why McDonald's are taking many years to do this. And they haven't drummed out that because they wanted to ensure that a product arrived in a good condition. Fries is what was the big challenge as well. And they've, they seem like they found a solution now because they're, they're scaling the delivery out with success across the globe. But that again shows you the, the design and precision they put in to understand that they didn't just sign up and started something. They really thought it through and how it fitted with the current market, but also with their organization to deliver a really good experience. That ties in with the point we discussed earlier on in terms of what I was talking about, in terms of how businesses, food service operators approach their implementation and execution of technology as, as part of their market strategy. You've got that, you know, Mike and Mary coffee shop where it's it's haphazard. They're not thinking about it initially. They have a really good product, but they don't really have a strategy for how they're going to execute on technology. But then you've got those that other group where they're very deliberate, very premeditated. They're really wielding it as a tool. And that ties in, you know, obviously McDonald's are, are, are masters of doing that. I think the other thing that ties into the mix on this as well is that it's a completely different discussion, I think, if you're talking about starting a business, be that a food service business, for example, starting that from scratch and building the model from day one that you are going to use marketplace aggregators as a key part of your revenue generation. That's entirely different from trying to take that and retrofit it into an established business. So I'm all in favor of looking at marketplace aggregators, but the question is, are you trying to take a square peg and really ram that into a round hole, or are you purpose building your model from the get-go to be able to actually leverage and maximize that? And then the third part I think in between looking at traditional store formats and looking at using delivery from those existing store network to try and expand your reach is certainly we see this in, in, in Ireland. At the moment in Ireland, there is in the food and hospitality space, I mean, there's a boom. There's an absolute boom in the market here at the moment, particularly in Dublin, Cork, Galway, maybe less so in, in Limerick, but particularly in, in Dublin. And one of the challenges that that's brought with it is there are more and more very good quality food service operators competing and looking for the same traditional high street locations. It's a landlord's dream. It's driving rents up to an unsustainable standpoint, unsustainable. I mean, at the moment, Ireland's the fastest growing economy in the EU. 
But if that halves, a lot of those rents are just not going to be sustainable. So what we're seeing with an increasing number of clients is a very, and I'm talking more like this category of, of clients who are looking at starting a business to, to scale from the very beginning and being very premeditated in their thinking. They are from the beginning saying, right, we need to be far more flexible in the format of store offering. It's not just high street location, premium shopping center, or delivery with Uber Eats. The third way also is to say, maybe we make a very, very small footprint kiosk that we're putting inside another licensed premises that has very good footfall. And I think we discussed previously on another call, a new client of ours who's a new uh, established pizza franchise, but new to Ireland. And their second location is a very, very small pizza kitchen inside a recently refurbished what I would call kind of super pub in a city center location. There's a profit share model in place. It's one of the main food offerings inside the pub. What that's doing is it's allowing that operator to use that location to service delivery by cargo bike and by electric moped, not using a third party aggregator throughout a very large area of the city centre. And yet their rent is pretty much non-existence as a fraction of their operation. I think we're going to see, certainly in an Irish context, a lot more of that. And it's just important, I think, from an industry point of view, that lesson has to be learned. I think this has been seen in the US, Australia as well, that you you get these measurements in place before it happens and start thinking very differently about scaling. And of course, there's also a limit to how many players can there be in the market. So there's also a natural clean out at some point. You know, the fittest will survive. I think it's very interesting to see that already now in, in, in the Irish market that this is happening right now. And that's also what I've observed when I've been over there. It's like looking what happened in London maybe 10, 12 years ago, just quicker in a way, because I wouldn't say it's easier to scale today. It's not, but there's definitely some mechanism that does that. The template is more known. But again, you need to find your own template. And that's what often goes wrong in scale. What do you think on a, on a tech side is the next big thing in, in restaurants and food? What are they going to be looking at besides uh, delivery, which is very big right now? But what is the next big thing, you think? Really good question. I think a couple of things. One, I think at the moment for in-store purchase or if you've got in-store seating, etc., I think the use of video. I think video as another form of data, which will be combined to help contextualize the data that's being captured through point of sale, etc. That's something that we see a big growth area and there's a new generation of, you wouldn't call it CCTV, you'd call this more IoT video sensor. So for example, what this will do is it will count the number of people who are actually waiting in a queue. And depending upon that, it will actually alert staff either to say, listen, somebody needs to come out with a mobile order unit, or it can actually change digital signage. It will actually be able to change lighting in the store. It will also be able to go and look and identify which tables are most frequently used, which ones are not. It'll be able to tie in, as I said, with digital signage previously and let you know which is actually the most effective. So I think video is almost like a sixth sense that on its own maybe doesn't tell a, an amazing story, but used to contextualize the other data that you have can make that much, much richer. And listen, most of these operators, you know, they need to have cameras in place anyway from a security standpoint. I think it's going to be inevitable that they'll just end up going to the next generation of this and over time using it to, to integrate with their other data sources. There's some really interesting examples of how that's being done and we've got some projects underway on that. That's one thing. I think the second thing is 
on the delivery side of things, I think what I see happening, this is, I think, in an Irish context, I think it's going to happen sooner in the UK, but in an Irish context, it's probably still two years away or so, which will actually start seeing the active use of drone delivery in Ireland. But where I see there being an opportunity is for, you know, if you're a chain of 10, maybe even probably seven, seven units and up, the ability to actually uh, to have your own drone fleet yourself, to be able to actually bypass the use of, of third party delivery providers and to be able to manage your own delivery for all the different benefits that that inherently brings. And then I think the third thing is we're going to see a real doubling down on real-time engagement with customers. We've seen that already from a couple of years ago where you might have received a satisfaction survey you know, a day after you had an experience to where now you're seeing getting a net promoter score survey is sent shortly after you've actually completed a transaction. But all of that is actually post-transaction. And I think what we're going to start seeing now is actually a view to gathering feedback during the actual transaction process. So actually looking for feedback and gathering feedback while you are actually sitting down having your meal, while you are actually waiting to order. Gathering feedback at the point of intent. There's a number of interesting providers out there who who are doing work on this. Actually, quite a few in Asia Pacific, Australia and New Zealand have some really interesting operators there. It's not been put into practice here yet in Ireland. We've got some conversations with clients at the moment. It still sounds a bit far out there, science fiction for them at the moment. But it's like one of these things. It's just going to take one or two well-known operators here to start using it for it to start gaining traction. I think another thing that we probably can talk a lot on that is like voice in restaurants is not only think from the customer point of view, but from an operation point of view, that you take away that you need to interact with things, you know, by keyboard or need to log in. You actually use voice as a thing, you know, recognition of a fingerprint and so on. It's going to be more from a compliance point of view, you know, your Irish check like you do in the airport when you come in with your passport. There's so, so many interesting things that can, can help operators. But I think as the coming years, I agree with you, you need to have a certain size to actually grasp these things and be able able to implement them as well because what i often see is the challenge if it's technology or any initiative goes into operation is the missing piece of having a process for how you implement things successful in your in your business and you can just go and look at the very successful chains that's what one of the secret ingredients they don't found out really well for their business how they implement things to make them work out in the front line by the frontline employees. Because these are all great strategic conversations, but if it doesn't come out to the front line and really get integrated out there and they buy into it and use it properly, it will never give the effect on your business you need to, if it's technology or anything else you want to implement, a new product, a new burrito or whatever it is. I think you're right. And I think the thing about that is purely from an IT standpoint, if you go back certainly five years and beyond that, you had the traditional IT deployment cycles of we put a system in, the system is put in for three years, maybe it's five years. There's a licensing cost with it. There's also be some consultancy or professional services in terms of tweaking it for our particular use. I'm not talking about a one-store operation here. You know, you're kind of seven, eight units and, and above. And then in three or five years' time, probably... No, it never really delivered what it was meant to. It did some things. It actually cost more than it was meant to. And we're not really too happy with that. And the, the legacy situation was you just went and repeated that because somebody made you a better sales pitch, but you kind of fell into the same trap. And the challenge with that was that as an organization, you only ever really implemented these projects every couple of years. 
Whereas now, I think the opportunity, and it's happened through the democratization of software and through SaaS apps and, and, and everything, what's happening now is it's much easier to go and actually implement a new technology. There's danger in that because your organization becomes much more porous and you can have an assistant manager or manager, somebody who traditionally would not have been able to go and do this. All of a sudden, they can put a new system in because in today's landscape from a technology standpoint, friction loses and convenience wins, hands down, all of the time. So if you have an organizational structure that says you must fill out a spreadsheet, attach it to an email, send it this way, et cetera, et cetera, and somebody can just go and send something on WhatsApp, they're going to find the easiest way to do this unless you've got a very strict control over that. So what you have to do, I think as an organization, you have to take the willingness of people because of their demographic age to be able to put new technologies in on a regular basis. Look at it almost like a lean methodology where you're saying we're going to make many, many tiny and small incremental changes all of the time rather than these big bang projects that makes it lower risk if something fails. But as an organization, you become, like you're talking about patterns earlier on, you have a pattern of behavior whereby it's okay to try something, it's okay to fail, because we're not actually trying something very big here, it's only something very small. So I think that, if you want to call it flexing or exercising that muscle of execution, is something that you need practice at. But that has to be driven from the top down, but it also has to be buy-in from, from the bottom up. And I think that leads into um, one thing I wanted to have a chat with you before we finish this podcast, the whole situation in the industry. So Ireland is growing very rapidly. UK, there's already in the hospitality market, a lot of challenges, as you said, a lot of the big ones have already been out and restructuring or some of them even throwing the towel in the ring. It's been quite a, a rough year. And I think we have a 2019 to look into with flat growth and maybe even declining, depending on uh, what I just wanted to touch with you shortly is on the whole Brexit matter, because that's one of the big conversation topics in all industries in the, the coming weeks. And in hospitality in, in the UK, you have different challenges from a supply chain point of view, but also from a, a staffing point of view, whatever it ends. And we already seen the, the first points of it. But as any economy is hit by uncertainty, it will always impact hospitality businesses first and foremost. And, and I guess you have a bit of view on that because you now operate in both markets. Look, the first thing that I would say from a personal standpoint or personal but being in business is I think it's a real shame that Brexit is happening. With that said, I respect the fact that it is happening. I think generally speaking, in the view in Ireland, in a lot of quarters is history will view it as if it does go through, particularly if there's a hard Brexit, which I don't think there will be, but if there is, it will end up being viewed as probably the greatest self-inflicted wound that the UK has, has ever imposed upon itself. With all of that said, Ireland is a nation of approximately 5 million people. And our economic output is similar to the greater Manchester area. You know, we are the classic case of a small open economy. A strong wind blows and everyone here feels it. We're very susceptible to market forces. I think what's interesting is that if you go back 10, 20 years, particularly 20 years, we looked at our main trading partner as being the UK. And still to this day, 40% of our exports on a daily basis go to the UK. It's critical. What's interesting is though, it's 40% of the exports from the Republic of Ireland go to the UK. And don't quote me on the exact figure, but I believe it's something upwards of around about 70% of exports from Northern Ireland 
go into the UK. The extent to which our, we've been dependent upon trade with the UK is still massive. It's still unsettling, to be honest with you, but it has been reducing. And we've been growing our supply chain and growing our markets with other trading partners within the EU, but also elsewhere. From a Brexit standpoint and from a restaurant and, and food and hospitality perspective, Brexit has brought both threat but also opportunity. One of the things that happened was quite shortly after the vote, what you saw in the border counties between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland was almost immediately quite a large influx of foreign nationals from other EU nations and, and, and elsewhere relocate where they were actually living from Northern Ireland, even in some cases just over the border in Southern Ireland. That didn't mean that they actually changed their place of employment or work, but they wanted that degree of security. The the reason why I think there's a threat is is obvious. Supply chains, cost increases, and the, the inevitable consequence that that will feed into higher prices. There's only so much that the sector can absorb here. That will in turn uh, feed into higher inflation. And isn't, that's a whole kind of economics debate, but it's not a good thing. The opportunity is two things, I think. We have a lot of capital that otherwise would naturally sit or be invested in the UK. And people are now saying, well, where else can we go to in the EU that is a full member of the EU and that's English speaking? There's only one other place, and that's Ireland. And that's a pretty compelling argument. And then from a labour standpoint, while there are labour shortages in many areas in Ireland, in different sectors, in terms of the indigenous workforce, what you are seeing is a very, very attractive market here for other EU nationals to come and work here. Now, the one challenge that we have here at the moment is we have a housing crisis. So it's it, the challenge is not finding people to actually work in the jobs or even the rates of pay necessarily. The challenge is even at a very good rate of pay, it can be very, very difficult to actually find a place to live. So you're having more and more employers who are now actually entering the housing market as landlords to try and provide subsidized or free accommodation for their staff. What I don't think will change at all is that, and we've seen it more and more with indigenous operators here who look to scale, they're very deliberately within their three-year plan is they will scale into the UK and they will use that as a launch pad to scale internationally and beyond. I don't see that changing. Why the simple geography of it? You can be in London in 50 minutes. You can get the ferry from Dublin Port over to Hollyhead in, in two hours. It's too close to not be relevant for us and, and at the heart of what we do. And equally then, I think the degree to which you have those with capital in, in Ireland looking for what are new trends, new offerings in the UK and bringing them here to Ireland. Key example of that very recent one is an accountant here by the name of Stuart Fitzgerald, who actually is the master franchiser for Freshy in the UK, an Irish guy from Limerick who's the master franchiser for Freshy in the UK. So get, get your head around that. But he, along with his business partner, have secured the franchise rights for Leon in Ireland. Now, I don't see that type of development changing. The next Leon that emerges in the UK, you can bet your bottom dollar or euro or pound or whatever you want to say that there will be someone from Ireland who will be looking at that and saying, hey, is there an opportunity to actually bring that here from the UK? So irrespective of what happens politically 
I think that from from a sectoral standpoint, I think we're going to remain very, very aligned for the foreseeable future. Very, very interesting approach. And actually, I can only say I agree with most of it. It's often with these things is that, of course, they have an impact, but you have much more control over your, your own business and what you want to do than you think you have. Your circle of influence is often bigger. This leads me also to the last question we always ask on the podcast is if you can give one advice and one advice only to anyone who wanted to start out in food or restaurant or hospitality what would be that from your your experience and your view from your side of the table oh you didn't tell me you were going to ask that i think what you need to ask yourself is do you have a very clear purpose identified for why you are going to do what you were intending to do and by purpose i mean it's something that you're skillful at something that you can be profitable at, something which you feel the world needs more of. And if you can answer emphatically yes to each one of those three things, then I think by all means, go all steam ahead and try and build a successful business on that basis. The other thing I would say with that as well is seek out meaningful partnerships both with individuals and other organizations who've trodden the path that you are looking to walk yourself. If you do that, it may appear as though there's some additional cost in the short run because it would be cheaper if you did it yourself. But if you place any value on your own time, you'll realize that trying to reinvent every single wheel that you need to put on the cart to make your business a success is going to bleed you of time and money and ultimately probably stall your ability to make any kind of uh, profitably scalable business. That was two advice in one, but it was a very good one to, to end this podcast on. So yeah, we've been on journey, David, talking about technology, franchising, the economy and everything. So thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and, and sharing all your, your vast knowledge. And I'm sure that there's going to be another one in the near future as we, we move into 2019. I think we will have some interesting conversation that, that we can share with the with the people out there. My pleasure. We can have it as the, the pre and post Brexit episodes, maybe. Thanks very much, Michael. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you, David, for sharing your extensive knowledge regarding data, franchising, tech and food, leadership and much more. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, review on iTunes or even better, share your experience and knowledge with us. How does your organization ensure that you're asking the right questions to boost performance? Thanks to Laura Evans from Let's Talk Video Production for your ongoing podcast assistance. We hope you have enjoyed today's podcast with me, Michael Tingser. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us on hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.